You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. The living room is a place at least in our minds and in our hopes that we could find some place of uh, rest and comfort. I don't know what your home was like growing up and regardless of if you had a comfortable place like that, in your mind you thought, well at least one day I'm gonna have a place when I come home that I can rest, I can relax, I can just kick back and take a nap if I need to. I remember when I uh, was early on in my relationship with Carla and we were dating and then engaged and she was working and or in school at, uh, at then it was called MCG and uh, she would come over to my parents house which is where I lived at the time and she would go to our living room and lay down on the couch and then just go to sleep for hours uh, and it could have been the company I don't know but it, hopefully it was just the fact that she was she was comfortable. That's what she would say. She's like, I just, when I get here and I sit down in the living room, I just feel like I can rest and I'm at peace and I can relax. And, and so she would. And as I thought about this today, this message called the living room of lament is that we oftentimes come into the presence of God. And as we're talking about this biblical lament that we would offer to God this, this prayer, and yet life is painful and sorrowful and difficult, but there's an ability to rest in the presence of God regardless. When I think about the living room of lament, the first thought that comes to my mind as it relates to Jesus is how he was taking a nap in the boat in Galilee when the storm was just breaking loose and all the disciples were freaking out, thinking they were going to die, and Jesus is in the the boat asleep. And the reality of that is because he knew the Father and he knew what God was doing, that even in the middle of the storms, he could rest. And I believe in God's presence in the living room of lament through the difficulty and the pains and the struggles that we go through in this life. It is so that we can be in his presence and still experience rest, although all hell seems to be breaking loose around us. And that's what we find in the lament. I believe we've learned a lot if you've been here. If you haven't, you can always go back and watch our services online or listen to the podcast. I believe we've learned a lot about lament. I hope so, but I will say this at the same time, and you've heard me say this, until we've actually applied what we've heard, we've not, in fact, learned anything. That's why the Bible says that we are to be not just hearers of the word, but those that actually do the word, apply it to our lives. So I hope that you are, and to use my ongoing analogy, I hope that you have realized that there are some styles of songs out there, prayers, if you will, that we've never sung before, but that God wants you to add to your vinyl library. Remember, we talked about the the record player, and we talked about the, the records that were in this little record cabinet, and the different styles of records that you could have, and maybe you listen to one style, or 
or still do until a friend introduced you to another style that you're like, man, I, I didn't even know that type of genre of music existed. I love that. And the reality sometimes in our life is that we can pray and we can worship God and without the biblical lament, we're missing a genre that God intends us to use to draw us closer to him in an intimate relationship. It's the lament. One third of the Psalms are laments. The book of Lamentations is the most exhaustive, comprehensive lament we have in the Bible. And maybe through this series and through the introduction of the biblical lament, maybe you're writing some things down or singing or praying some new types of prayers to God. And maybe through the diversity of the body of Christ as we grieve with those who grieve, because that's also what lament does. It helps us to come alongside others and to have compassion and empathy for them and something that they're going through that we might not ever understand otherwise. Hopefully through the diversity of the body of Christ, we're understanding some things that we could never understand or going to some places that we might never go alone as we lament with one another and as they introduce us to a new song, a new genre of prayer and worship weeping with those who weep hopefully we're learning how to lament what is lament we've gone through this each and every week crying out to God turning to God remember in week one we talked about the distance between the chairs and we had one chair on this side and the other chair on this side week two the chairs got a little bit closer but at some point you've got to sit down in the living room with God regardless of how painful it might be regardless of how difficult or how many questions you have like why and and how long and how long is this going to last God but you've got to turn to God we can't deny that something's happening we can't just get despairing about something that's happening we have to turn to God that's the first step of biblical lament and then yes voice your complaint that's what a lament is God how long is this going to last why is this happening God I'm so frustrated about this and as we begin to voice our complaint and we turn to God with the but you O Lord yet you God are this and we take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on Jesus in this intimate conversation of prayer what we will find is that all of a sudden our hope is getting renewed in Christ our trust is getting restored in God as we worship him with faith that's the process of lament and where does lament lead us where it's always supposed to lead us to hope a place of hope and God has called us to this place of regular lament. That's hence why the living room of lament is the title of this message. And we've got this living room up here and the, and the production team did such a great job of getting it out here right while I was praying. Yes, they did. And, the, and putting it together this week. And just the truth of the lament is our ability to take a step in the right direction for us as God's people to be empathetic and compassionate and one. And as we talked about the last two weeks, this ability to lament with God is also the pathway to racial reconciliation as we continue to build a church that is not just multi-generational but multi-ethnic and this ability to walk with one another and understand one another and have empathy and compassion with one another is the ability that we're going to have to be one as Christ prayed that we would be one it's a biblical language of processing pain It opens the door for renewed understanding or maybe just understanding for the first time was something I never understood before. To grieve in a way maybe I never would have grieved before. Uh, Even as we last week had our our corporate prayer and I asked one of our members to come up and and write a lament or just 
give him a little bit of warning and said, please write a lament about what's going on, particularly in Atlanta. And, and he wrote one out and, and, and then he shared that from his perspective and his ethnic background. And, and I began to listen and as I began to listen and I began to just listen to the prayer and the lament of my brother, I began to cry tears that I never would have cried unless I had walked into grieving with him in a way that he was grieving. And that is the power of the body of Christ. It's a biblical language for us as Christians so that we can have a safe space for healing and a prophetic call to change. Lament is not the destination, but it is meant to get us to one. It moves us from where we are to where we need to be. Again, why we had these chairs separated, and now they're a little bit closer, and there's a little bit of warmth here, and it feels like, oh, I can live here. I can relax here. Have you ever been so comfortable in your living room that you just sat down, and all of a sudden your head went back and your mouth went... I mean, it looks ridiculous, but you don't care because you're resting. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's what you look like every Sunday or every afternoon. And, and sometimes you take pictures and you post them and it's embarrassing. But the truth of the matter is you're resting and you're relaxing and you have that almost sleep, the sleep of peace in the presence of God. And do you understand just as you need that sleep in life? And there's so many things that happen when you're asleep physically, like cortisol levels and all kinds of things. And you grow. There's something that happens spiritually when you're resting in God in the middle of the storm. And so we bring this to God and we worship him and he begins to change us from the inside out as we lament. And we see that there's something closing the gap between the pain of right now and the promises of God that we know are true. There's something closing the gap between the sorrow that we might be feeling in this life and the sovereignty of God that we know to be true. Lament is the ability that we have living in a broken world to grieve the right way. And listen, in this life, you're going to have ample opportunity to grieve. In this life, you're going to have ample opportunity to walk through difficulties and process them the right way in God's presence to lament the way God intended us to. John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. I don't know why we are shocked about the trouble that we engaged in and walked through in this life. Jesus promised, in this world, you will have trouble. But, what does he say? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. What did Jesus say? He said, take heart. Say that with me. Take heart. That was terrible. Take heart. One more time. Take heart. I'm helping, trying to help Kevin out with the good morning thing, too. So we, we take heart and lament is what helps us to take heart. Take heart is a Greek word, tharseo, and it really is the only time it's used in John this way, but it's also used in Matthew and Mark to describe the attitude Jesus wanted his disciples to take during the storm in Galilee that I just mentioned. While he's asleep and they're freaking out, Jesus says, take heart. Come on, it's the same thing that that Paul said in Acts 23 when he's surrounded by his enemies preaching the gospel and the Lord actually said to Paul, Paul, take heart. Taking heart says despite the circumstances and there are troubled circumstances around us many times, the victory of Jesus outweighs the jeopardy of the present crisis. 
The victory of Jesus, I have overcome the world, outweighs the jeopardy of the present crisis that you will find yourself in, and maybe you find yourself in there today. Take heart has some other idiomatic expressions, and I love these. It's to not move. Don't move. Be immovable in Christ from this. Take heart. Every time I say these, you can think about Jesus saying, take heart. Or this particular passage of scripture that we just read telling us that if you're going to overcome the world, you've got to take heart. What's some other expressions? To be deaf to threats. Because the enemy is a liar and he's going to threaten you throughout this lifetime. And Jesus is saying, take heart. Be deaf to the threats of the enemy and any voice that is contrary to mine. And the last one, to have a heart like iron. Take heart, don't move, have a deafness to threats, have a heart like iron. Whatever the trouble is, the peace can prevail. Just as elsewhere, the privilege of being more than a conqueror in Romans 8 goes to those who are not just saying, well, I hope I'm more than a conqueror. No, they're faithful under the most appalling of opposition in Romans 8. Lament gives us courage. It helps us to take heart so that we can overcome and be more than conquerors in this world. And that happens as you're going through difficulty and pain. Listen, I don't need to overcome if I don't have something to overcome. I don't need to conquer something unless I'm in a battle. Unless there's something that's trying to overwhelm and conquer me. Lament is how we experience God's grace no matter what we face. The grace of God is poured out upon us as we lament in his presence. Again, I'll keep coming back to it. How do we turn to God, voice our complaint to God, cry out to help for help from God, and then worship God in faith and trust him. Lament is the ability to lay out every messy struggle that you might have before a grace-giving God who is more than able to make grace abound to you in every good thing that he's called you to. He's he's there to give you grace to help. And if there's one thing that I have heard and that I have concluded from the testimonies that we've received from this series, from the conversations that I've been in about this series, the difficulty and the heaviness of this series, if there's one thing that I've concluded is that we needed the freedom to be human, the authenticity to grow in our Christianity as Christians, and the honesty to quit trying to live in a fantasy world of utopian bliss that does not exist this side of heaven the freedom to go God this this is painful the freedom to say this is difficult the freedom to say I'm tired of this the freedom to say I'm frustrated with this but you yet you God are more than able and it's in that living room that I can come and go through those places and those processes we're not robots we're not meant to go through this life without feelings or to ignore our feelings or to deny our feelings or to press our feelings down by denying our surroundings that will not lead to anywhere that's helpful sorrow is okay to feel and something we take to God in prayer in the lament again if Jesus was called a man of sorrows who was well acquainted with grief then I think it is going to be okay for you and I as those who follow in the footsteps of our Savior to have some sorrows and be acquainted with grief and take it to the cross just like he did so that we can find mercy and grace for our time of need but lament gives us the room to live that out because it's not just going to happen. We need to accept that there's a tension between sorrow in this life and the suffering of this life and then God's sovereignty. We need to accept the tension of the now of the finished work of Christ and the not yet of the return of Christ. The, the, the tension between the pain that we go through right now and the difficulty and the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. 
There's a tension there. And lament invites us into the living room with a loving heavenly father who is there waiting there for us so that we can begin to work that out with him. And the reason lament is inherently Christian is because it rises from a heart that understands the brokenness of sin in our world surrounding us every day, but trusts and longs for the completion of God's redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. Actually, the more we lament, the more we realize how much we need God. And in turn, grow in maturity and in our relationship with God. The more we lament, the more we trust in our faithful God. We've talked about how to lament. We've talked about what we learn from lament. Today, I'm talking about how to live with lament. How to spend time in the living room of lament. Hence this little living room space up here. If lament is a way to experience the sovereign mercy of God, and God's mercies are new every morning, then I'm just going to go out on a limb and figure and believe that probably throughout my life, often I'm going to need to make some space to sleep and to rest in the living room of lament where I'm bringing my struggles, where I'm bringing my frustrations, where I'm being honest with God, where I won't be honest with anybody else. Or maybe I'm walking alongside a friend or someone else is going through difficulty and grieving with them as they grieve so that the intimacy with God grows and my trust in God grows and my faith in God grows. Did you know the more time I spend with God the more I see I'm nothing like him like we have this thought it's like man the more time I spend with God the more I'm going to be like him yes you are but you'll also find how far from being like Christ you really are at the same time as I was telling someone last week this journey yeah we've come a long way but man we're never going to be where we are until we meet Jesus face to face so we still got lots of work to do God's got a lot of work to do in me And the closer I get to him, the more I see that I'm not like him yet, but I want to be. So why do we lament? Well, I've already mentioned quite a few reasons, but lament is a language for loss. You ever try to communicate with somebody where there's a language barrier? I mean, like talking about a language that you don't know and you're trying to communicate. I've traveled and had the opportunity to go to a lot of different places in the world. And because I'm not fluent in multiple languages, I have a language barrier, right? And if you do, like some of us, we, particularly obviously in America, we think if we speak with an American or a different accent with our English that somebody's going to understand us better. It doesn't work that way. Like that's just kind of our, our dimness a little bit, right? Like I'm, that's not going to help you understand anything that I'm saying. But when you have a language barrier, you can't communicate the way that you hope and the way that you desire, And lament is the historic language, the historic prayer language and prayer song in Psalms, if you will, for hurting Christians. And as Christians, we will, as we said, have trouble. So we're going to need to take heart. And the way that we take heart is to have this language so there's not a language barrier between God and his intimacy and the closeness that I need with him. And it's called a lament. It takes down that language barrier so I can get close to him in the living room that I need to live. It gives me a biblical vocabulary and a guide for talking to God about my pain and the difficulty that I'm going through and or on top of helping others who are walking through their own suffering because lament isn't always just about me. It's oftentimes about walking it through with somebody else. Lament keeps us from muting our prayers to God as if he doesn't already know what's going on inside of my heart and my mind. It's the solution for silence, which is typically what we like to do for God. We give him the silent treatment. Maybe just a lot of us men, because we're really good at the silent treatment, and maybe some of you ladies are good at it too, but it's like we don't want to talk about it. 
I don't want to talk about it, God. Let's just move on, God. I don't want to talk. That's difficult. I'm done with that. No, you're not. The fact that you're saying that you're done with it probably shows that you're not even remotely done with it. So you sit in that place with God and you pour out your heart before him and you let his loving mercy and grace be poured out upon you as your eyes get taken off of yourself so much and get fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith in such a way where you have a renewed trust in him. But lament keeps us from being silent. It keeps us from being afraid to talk to God about stuff that's hurting us and stuff that only he can help us with ultimately in the reality. He's the only one that can help me. Lament gives us the framework for our feelings. It allows us to complain without moving into a place of bitterness or self-centeredness because that's not where it should lead that's not a biblical lament we talked about this like we're not just going to complain and walk away we're going to complain that's fine but we're going to stay until we begin to see God differently and see our situation through his eyes lament allows us to express ourselves to God with the right goal and the goal is to give our pain to give our sorrow to give our frustrations to give our fears to God and worship him in faith despite what we see in the physical Some of our deepest moments, some of my deepest moments in worship have been going through the crucibles of life and yet standing in the middle of that and worshiping Jesus anyway. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're there often when you show up on Sunday morning and there's stuff going on in your life and you don't feel like praising God and you don't feel like worshiping God, but you know it's the right thing to do and you know it's the best thing to do. So you stand even in the middle of the crucible that you're going through and you say, God, you're worthy of praise. You're worthy of honor. I'm going to worship you with all of my heart anyway because you're worthy. And lament helps us to do that to get into the middle of our difficulties and allow God to minister healing to our hearts because Jesus meets us in the middle of our greatest and deepest difficulties. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. I said earlier, life will be full of opportunities to lament daily. So we should make it a living room in the spiritual house of our heart. Once your eyes have been opened to the biblical prayer language of lament, you'll begin to see it more and more as you read Scripture. For example, today's passage that I'll just take the rest of our time to look at today is found in Luke 19. It's the Palm Sunday passage, if you will, because this is Palm Sunday today as we move into Holy Week. If you're looking for a devotion, we'll get it up on our, our website, but we've got a devotion. We're going to ebook really, that Pastor Andy King, a good friend of ours in uh, Kennesaw and our Every Nation Church there, wrote. It's an ebook for Holy Week. It's a devotion. You can spend some time finding on our website I think right okay slash holy week okay take for example this scripture Luke 19 as he went along Jesus people spread their cloaks on the road when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Palm Sunday is a day where the church traditionally remembers the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem for the last week of his life. Known as Holy Week 
It's an event marked by both understanding of the people in the context of that passage and a tragic misunderstanding at the same time. They understood enough and had enough discernment to be able to go, this is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, praise to him. They had enough discernment to know and recognize this was the son of David. This was the long-awaited ruler of Israel. This was the, the fulfillment of God's promises. He was the Messiah. But the tragic misunderstanding at the same time was how this would all go down. The Jewish people erroneously believed that Jesus would enter Jerusalem triumphantly and by his mighty works and all of his power would take the throne by force and make Israel free from Rome and they would be the political power. However, as you may already know, it wasn't going to be that way. Jesus would take his throne, but it wasn't through military might or force but through voluntary suffering and death on a cross. They celebrated what they understood. Hosanna, this is the son of David. Yes, this is him. This is exciting. But there was misunderstanding that brought destruction, the murder of Jesus a few days later, and the total obliteration of Jerusalem some 40 years later. And Jesus saw all of this coming. And listen, we can be guilty as anybody of celebrating what we understand while demonizing what we don't understand. Just like these religious Pharisees, these are the most well-learned, well, most moral people that you could think of, right? The best churchgoers out there. And yet, in this particular place and space, they celebrated what they understood, which was, yes, this is the Messiah, but I don't understand why he's doing it this way. This isn't how I thought this would go down. This can't be right. But I want you to understand, as we celebrate what we understand, and oftentimes don't celebrate or demonize what we do not understand, I want you to know that your confusion about what an infinite God is doing and how and why he is doing it is confirmation of your finiteness more than anything else and our failure to comprehend not God's lack of ability to know what he's doing. Am I going to always understand God's ways? No. Am I always going to be able to, to figure everything out and celebrate it? No, but neither should I be misunderstanding and demonizing what I do not understand that God is doing. And I want to focus this morning on Jesus' response to this blindness and this hostility that he was about to meet in Jerusalem. Indeed, he met it already in this very text. The crowds were crying out, blessed is he, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But in the very next verse, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because it's one of those moments, right, where as he's riding in, it should have been a unanimous decision. Like if you're watching a boxing match, everybody there in the whole place knows this guy won, and yet one judge decides to give it to the other guy. What? This is a unanimous decision. It is clear who won this fight. This is a unanimous decision. It's clear this is the son of God. This is the, the king. And yet it wasn't clear to everybody. Because what do the Pharisees want Jesus to rebuke his disciples about? They want Jesus to reject the claim of Jesus being the Lord over all. Again, isn't this what's offensive about the gospel the most? It's not, yes, it can be offensive that Jesus is the one and only way to the Father in heaven, but that's not the most offensive thing. Jesus being Savior is actually not the most offensive thing, at least in my experience that I've seen in the body of Christ. What's the most offensive thing to the people and the, the religious people here and even today is Jesus being Lord over every area of our life. The gospel offends. Why? Because it confronts areas that 
disturb our comfort and traditions. Just like the Pharisees. The modern day Pharisee is having our, our comfort and our traditions and our long held beliefs disturbed by something that Jesus is doing and that means that he's going to be Lord over some area of our life that I thought was okay already or I didn't really want to talk about and didn't want to get into the living room and deal with and God's saying that's not how it's going to go down. Not with Jesus. See, claims of Jesus being king are offensive to the Pharisees both then and now. King overall denotes sovereign control over every area of our life, and that's where the gospel offends. What does Jesus reply after they're saying, hey, we, we want you to deny this? And he's saying, no, blessed is the king is an appropriate reply. And so what does he say? If the disciples do not speak out, the rocks and creation will. This remark is important for creation speaks wherever there is injustice and it needs to be avenged. Just like in Genesis when Cain killed Abel and nobody was speaking up and all of a sudden the Bible says that blood was crying out from the ground. What he's saying is, listen, if you won't praise God, then all of creation will. And there's this kind of intimate Backhanded, if you want to call it that way, but not with Jesus. It's very in your face. An intrinsic rebuke saying, listen, that an inanimate object of creation knows more about what's taking place with Jesus than you do. And maybe that's where we got the idiom, dumber than a rock. I don't know. Maybe. But the situation is tragic, and Jesus' tears would be proof of that. So going on, Jesus knew what was about to happen. The Pharisees were going to gain the popular vote. The people would be fickle and follow their religious leaders who would help them maintain their status and illusion of power. And Jesus would be rejected and crucified. And within a generation, the city would be obliterated. And look at verse 43 and 44, and you can see that. And he gets to the end, and he says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, verse 44. God had visited through his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, John 1.11 says. They did not recognize Emmanuel. They did not recognize God with us. They stumbled over the stumbling stone that Jesus is. The scripture says he is. They were uh, offended by the cornerstone. The builders rejected the stone that was supposed to be the cornerstone of the church and they threw it away. And I wonder how many times in this life we do the same thing where we stumble over the stumbling stone of Jesus and his lordship in our life. Oh yeah, God, not that. No, we're not going there. Oh no, 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 that's my thing. And I wonder how many times we've stumbled over that as well. I wonder how many times we should have seen what God was doing and rejoiced or seen what God was doing and lamented and shed tears dealing with God's visitation through an event. And instead we cave to the popular opinion of the culture around us, even the religious leaders around us. We found someone who would agree with us and would man maintain our economic or political power while allowing us to avoid persecution and remain comfortable because we choose comfort over being crucified. This is what the scripture would say is tossing away what is most valuable in order to keep that which is of little to only temporal value. 
to build on anything other than Jesus as the cornerstone of our faith and the cornerstone of the church, Jesus very clearly says is sinking sand and the destruction of that structure and house will be great. And God is building his church. That's what the scripture says. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we cannot reject how and what God is doing to build his church, even if we don't understand it all the time. Or else we could be like a modern-day Pharisee. And Jesus saw the sin. He saw the rebellion. He saw the blindness that was coming. But how did he respond? Did he get mad? Did he rebuke him? No. The Scripture says in verse 41, he wept over it. He wept. Would that you, even you, had known on the day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from you. Jesus wept over their blindness. He wept over the impending misery of Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the misery of missing Jesus. He wept over the fact that they were going to miss Jesus. It was very clear. And there's misery when we miss Jesus in our lives. There's misery when we miss Jesus at work in our lives. And yet, Jesus didn't get angry. He wept. This was a lament. Jesus was grieving over the people, and you could see his sovereign mercy on display. Jesus, through tears, was vocalizing his compassion for a lost, hurting, and broken people. But I want you to see the hope in all of this. All this rejection, all this persecution, all this killing, if you will, of Jesus. It's not the failure of Jesus' plan, it's the fulfillment of Jesus' plan. And so this is what lament does. As we sit, sit down in the living room of lament, this can be what it does for you as well, just like it did for Jesus. It opens our eyes to what we think is the failure of God's plan to see the fulfillment of God's plan. This isn't the failure of God's plan, it's actually the fulfillment of God's plan. And this is what he told his disciples in Luke 18. I don't, I'm not going to read the whole scripture right now, but he's saying, listen, this is about to happen. He told them everything that was about to happen. You can put the scripture up on the screen if you like. But verse 32, for we will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He was saying, listen, this is going to happen. Just a few days before, he's telling them this. A short time before. The betrayal, the mockery, the shame, the spitting, the flogging, the murder, and so much more. It was planned, in other words. The resistance, the rejection, the unbelief, and the hostility weren't a surprise to Jesus. They were, in fact, part of the plan. He says so. He told them so. This is probably why it says at the end of verse 42, but now they're hidden from your eyes. You had a chance to see, but now you don't. God was handing them over to the hardness of their hearts. It was judgment. But there was this tension that we feel even in this story. We feel it in lament if we'll truly sit down in the living room of lament with God. And it's the tension between sorrow and God's sovereignty. So it wasn't only judgment, but it was also mercy that we see in this. God's uh, lament, Jesus' lament led to mercy. And as we see the mercy of God, we should be humbled not just by receiving his mercy, but we should be humbled enough to be those that freely give his mercy. Freely we give what we have received. And we have received multiplied mercy because of what Christ did on the cross what can we learn from Jesus's lament and then I'll close with this first of all we learn lament leads to mercy that's what it did for Jesus lament led to mercy multiplied mercy on the cross mercy triumphed over judgment but also judgment took place at the same time against sin and death and hell and the grave. Lament is not just a way for us to renew our trust in God, but it's also for, a, for us to respond like Christ and being merciful to others. That's what we're supposed to be, church. Merciful people. The pattern of our kindness for others is seen in God's kindness towards us on the cross, that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
to not give to someone what they deserve. Can I tell you how many times as we learn how to be empathetic and we learn how to lament, I've had conversations about things that have gone on around us in our culture, in our world, or maybe even personal relationships, and one of the things, the refrains that you'll often hear is, yeah, but they deserve this. Listen to me. We deserve death except because Jesus, now we deserve mercy. And there's no way to have mercy when all we're talking about is what somebody deserved because mercy is not getting what we deserve. So the first aspect of Jesus' mercy is it's genuinely empathetic. He feels the sorrow of the situation. He really cries. This isn't a fake cry. This is a real cry, an ugly cry. And it means that Jesus is more emotionally complex than we think. Not that human autonomy has taken over and Jesus doesn't know what to do. He really feels the sorrow of the situation of the people missing out on who he is and the pain that he knows they're about to experience. This is, a, this is the pain that he's feeling and yet there's a deep inner peace that God is in control and that God's sovereign purposes will come to pass at the same time. At the same time, that doesn't mean you don't cry. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you and appeal to you and pray that God would give you tears. Some of you haven't cried tears in years. I'm praying that you would ask God, give me the tears to cry because there's so much pain in the world, not just in our own lives at times, so much suffering both near and far. It could be Atlanta, it could be Colorado, it could be Myanmar, it doesn't matter. Just turn on the news and there's pain and suffering everywhere and pray that God would help you to be genuinely empathetic where normally you would not care. And I know because that's what I go through. See, when you die and stand before Jesus Christ as the judge, and he asks you, well, how did you feel about all the suffering around you? I doubt you're going to be excited about saying, well, Jesus, I just saw right through the tears to how a lot of people were just where they were because of their own foolishness and sinfulness. They just kind of deserved it. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't ask you what you saw through. I asked you what you felt. Because here's the deal. Jesus saw through all the way he knows the beginning from the end and so Jesus is seeing through all the way to the end did not keep him from weeping tears over the fact that people were going to be hurting destruction was coming even knowing all that he knew knowing knowing all the facts knowing everything he still wept listen to me if you've not shed a tear for somebody else's loss but your own it probably means you're pretty wrapped up in yourself it probably means narcissism instead of compassion is governing in your heart you haven't let lament teach you especially lamenting with another believer like i mentioned a moment ago that we did a week ago at prayer in such a way that we repent of the hardness of our heart and ask god to give us a heart of mercy that is genuinely empathetic You see, when I began to hear that prayer read and I began to shed tears about something that I didn't have any clue about until I began to shed tears because my brother was hurting, just like Jesus shed tears for his brothers and sisters that were hurting, even though he knew what he was going to do. Second, Jesus' mercy was marked by selflessness. It's called self-denial. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and deny yourself daily. The Palm Sunday text is part of the story of Jesus moving intentionally towards self-denial, suffering and death. Jesus is entering Jerusalem to die on Palm Sunday. This is the epitome of self-denial. 
This is the way we follow Jesus. We see a need, and for Jesus it was seeing the, the sin of the world, the broken bodies, the misery of hell, and we move with Jesus, whatever it costs, toward the need. We deny ourselves the comforts and the securities and the ease of avoiding other people's pain because that's easy to do. And we embrace it instead. And Jesus' tears were not just an emotional response. They were the tears of a man on his way towards a deep need. And then lastly, it leads to the third way that Jesus is merciful. That lament leads to mercy. Jesus plans to help. Mercy should be helpful. Maybe you heard mercy ministry type thing. It should be helpful. It doesn't just feel, though it does feel. It's empathetic. It doesn't just deny itself, though it should deny itself or you'll never get there. But it actually does things that help people. Jesus was dying in our place that we might be forgiven of all of our sin and have an abundant life today and an eternal life forever. I'd say that's pretty helpful. The most helpful. He felt empathy. He moved towards us in all of our myriad of needs and brokenness. And then he helped us by rescuing us. This is what begins to happen in the living room of lament. I want you to see the transformation of lament and experiencing mercy and grace in your time of need personally to helping you better see needs and breaking your heart as you lament with others. Then mercifully meeting those needs as your eyes begin to be opened. Lament helps us to grieve personally. Lament helps us to overcome bitterness personally. Lament helps us to battle loneliness personally and ultimately affirms our trust in God. But also lament leads us to seeing the pain around us, not just in us, so that we can respond with mercy. What's that? We just said those three things. Empathy, selflessness, self-denial, and help. And I think we sit in the chair and we live with lament. We begin to be moved as Jesus was moved. Right? You come to a place so often, and in this life you should, that you're so comfortable here. It doesn't matter how you sit, if your mouth falls open or not. And you've come so many times to lament your own pain and your own frustration. And you've grown closer and more mature in your relationship with God. He's becoming more like a friend and a father where all of a sudden it's not just that you're coming here to lament your own issues but you're sitting there with God and he begins to point out things I said Brent do you see that yeah I see that pain too I recognize that you see that brokenness over there Brent yeah I do and as I begin to see the things that break the heart of God loneliness suffering poverty Hatred, persecution, oppression. I begin to see the things that God sees because I've grown in my comfortableness and my relationship of living with this lament. I begin to lament the things that God begins to point out to me to lament about. And it becomes less about all the things that I have, and I have them. And now I'm finding myself lamenting for others. It multiplies mercy in me. Romans 9, this is Paul saying, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the human race. What will it be for us? How are you doing in the area of 
ministering mercy. How are we doing as a church in the area of ministering mercy? What is causing you to be genuinely empathetic? Is there a movement towards pain or suffering that you see that God has revealed to you? Misery or loss or sadness? That means you're denying yourself in the short run to multiply your joy and the joy of others in the long run. And what help are you actually giving to those that are in need? I want us to see and enjoy the beauty of Christ in the Palm Sunday tears of lament that he shed that led to multiplied mercy on the cross for you and for me. And as we admire and worship Jesus on the cross, I want us to suppose what would happen if we would worship Jesus and that transformation would take place in our hearts, church. My prayer today is that we would be changed by what we see and multiplied mercy in Jesus would be multiplied mercy through us, his church, to become more empathetic, to be those that are selfless, and to be active in meeting the needs of others. But this doesn't happen by sheer willpower. It's not going to happen just by you saying, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen through lament. I'm telling you, church, this is a prayer language that God is inviting you into in a broken world. Lament, which leads to mercy. Luke 8, I'll close. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who from you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to those. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's me. In the last verse, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And you want to know where you learn how to do that? It's over here where God is in the living room of lament. Let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.